Welcome to The Pick, the podcast where one of us has the unlimited power of The Pick and gets to choose a movie that we talk about. And then at the end of the episode, someone else gets that power. Although I guess not not this time because it's the season finale. But still, we are Sean Lemmy. John Otney. And Colin Westman. And this week we're going to be talking about Outside In, the uh, 2017 film from Seattle director Lynn Shelton. But before we get to that, actually before we even get to little picks, I need to issue a rare uh, inverse little pick where I'd like to take back one of my little picks from history. Uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> Why? Well, uh, we've been, been going canceled? through... It's been canceled. Okay. <laughs> We've been going through a bit of a, a social moment um, and uh, part of our uh, ongoing cultural discussion uh, has been about um, equal pay and representation in media and it's come out recently um, that a uh, magazine and YouTube channel that I enjoyed and, uh, and have relied on for recipes for... Uh, a, a little more than a year now uh, is not not such a good place. Uh, I am unfortunately referring to Bon Appetit, uh, which I did as a little pick in season one uh, as a uh, a place that sparked joy for me. Uh, it was uh, it's, uh, presenting a, a a front of uh, like an idealized workplace where everyone is an amazing chef and they're all friends and it's just a ton of fun. And it's come to light that there was actually a ton of uh, systemic racism at Bon Appetit, as well as uh, horrific pay inequality. Um, and this has all uh, come on the heels of uh, photo resurfacing of the editor-in-chief uh, doing brownface at a Halloween party. Um, and there have been... Uh, scathing articles about uh, the way that they have treated people of color. Yeah, uh, one of the uh, Bon Appetit editors, uh, who is also, I think, maybe the most talented chef in the whole test kitchen, uh, came out and said that she is paid uh, something hilariously low, like $60,000 a year, and doesn't receive any uh, compensation for her uh, appearance in video segments, which is ridiculous because other people have shows and sponsorships and they even made her host like a dumb game show that they tried to do, um, which was a mistake. Totally didn't fit with the tone of the channel before. Um, and, you know, the people are saying the right things now. They're, they're saying that, you know, they want to change and maybe, maybe things will be okay. Maybe new leadership will come in. Uh, the other, the editor-in-chief has stepped down as well as a few other folks that have been named as problematic. Um, but yeah, as of right now, it doesn't seem like a good idea to be uh, doing anything that helps the business of Condé Nast, the, uh, the owner of Bon Appetit or Bon Appetit itself. So that is why I am issuing a inverse little pick on that. Taking it back. 
Yeah, that's, but yeah. Oh, did you have a question? No, I was just gonna say a, a brand that I liked recently also got canceled recently. Uh, it was pretty shocking. I don't know if you guys heard about the company Sinistate. They're the company that um, kind of brought uh, Fangoria out of hibernation, like brought it back. And they own like uh-huh. they own Birth Movies Death as well, and they produce some movies. Well, what they've been like uh-huh. uh, one of their higher up producer guys. Um, Apparently, did like like uh, I think raped someone while he was producing uh, a ghost story, the David Lowry movie. So now oh, Fangoria no. left the company that brought it back. So now they might not exist anymore because they don't have anyone that owns them anymore. Because Sinistate is like falling apart for keeping this guy around. So fuck them. It's just crazy to see like a brand like because I, I was a, I was a big fan of Sinistate. Like and they they do some cool audio books and they produce a lot of movies through Fangoria, so that's crazy. So tumultuous times. Sure is. Uh, but it is also uh, Pride, which is a fun thing, and um, we're talking about a, uh, a queer filmmaker this week, and I wanted to also make my little pick uh, related to that, and I could think of nothing better to watch than the recently released portrait of a lady on fire. You guys see this movie yet? Yeah. I saw it early on in quarantine. It's I will see it. released on Hulu. Yeah, it came out on Hulu for people who are subscribed to Hulu. Um, which I am not. But John, you left yourself logged in on my TV, so I stole your account. It's all good. That's okay. Did you use Mr. X or Dr. X or whatever? I, I did use the Dr. X profile. <laughs> hey, feel free to use it, man. Um, so this movie is about uh, Marianne, who is a painter who has been commissioned to come to this uh, isolated island in Brittany uh, to uh, paint a portrait of a wealthy widow's daughter so that they can send it to... Uh, her, I guess, suitor and uh, and marry her off, um, and you find out that it's kind of a, a tragic situation for this woman who had been uh, in a convent and uh, had to come back because her other sister uh, maybe committed suicide, and so they needed to they needed a new daughter to marry off, um, and it is about the relationship between um, that young woman and and the painter. Uh, I should say that this is a French movie. You gotta read subtitles. Um, it's also like a pretty moving story about a doomed romance. And uh, personally, I found it like incredibly satisfying to watch the painting and sketching in this movie. Mm-hmm. They had they hired one artist to do all the paintings and sketches in the movie, and uh, and they also had this this person on set so they could film her hands doing the painting, and it just it's really it's nice to watch. <laughs> I go for more artist movies if it's if it's that um, tactile. Yeah, because the whole crux of the movie is her like you know capturing her subject on on a canvas because she's her her portrait artist, and then you like yeah. slowly see like each time she attempts to to paint the portrait, it's like it's getting there. It's not quite there. <laughs> But like yes, yeah, as she gets to know the other woman, she also gets better at painting. Yeah, I, I'm I'm scared to pronounce it. Her name is El- Eloise. I don't know, 
French is so hard. Everything's you crazy. You skip most of the letters if I've learned anything about French. <laughs> <laughs> um, the the thing that stood out to me is like this. I found this to be a very affecting and and again another like tragic, doomed queer romance in the in the style of of recent period piece hits like Call Me by Your Name and The Favorite. And is it is it just the subtitles that stopped this one from being like such a big deal like those two, or was this as big a deal and I just didn't notice it? I think for film geeks and the art houses, this movie is a pretty big deal and it did fairly well in that realm. Um, I don't know what it takes for movies like that to break out further. I feel like it was kind of a weird one because it didn't really get a release at the end of the year when all the you know prestige movies come out. It got released like early this year. And then people stopped going to movie theaters earlier this year. <laughs> so, it, yeah, it kind of got sort of the short shrift. But, oh well. I, I don't know if it was ever going to become a big hit anyways. It's a pretty subtle movie. Also, uh, great use of a uh, minimal amount of music in this film. Every time a song comes on, you're like, hell yeah, this is sweet. Especially, there's a beach scene where some women are chanting, and they do this like they do this like THX deep note thing to start the song, and then they like clap on top of it, and it's awesome. So check that one out. Who wants to go next with their little pick? Uh, can I do two little picks, just like real quick? They'll be so little. Yeah. I mean, I basically did two, so why not? <laughs> okay, um, I'm gonna do two documentaries. Uh, first, I'd like to recommend a documentary that came out uh, in 2019 called Horror Noir, A History of Black Horror, because it's a time where we should be celebrating uh, black artists. And this is a documentary about the history of uh, horror movies and um, black representation in horror movies. It wasn't very good for a long time, you guys. I don't know if you know this. <laughs> uh, you know, in the early years, it was mostly like uh, black people being reduced to playing like voodoo zombies, and, like super racist stuff. But then this movie highlights like these pivotal pivotal moments, like um, Dwayne Jones being cast as the lead in Night of the Living Dead, and then like also uh, Ganja and Hess being kind of like this art house sensation when it came out. And then they highlight movies like Candyman, People Under the Stairs, Tales from the Hood, all while talking to a bunch of uh, black filmmakers and um, film historians, and then actors. And it's really cool because a lot of the um, a lot of people get uh, interviewed in pairs, so you have like uh, Keith David and uh, Ken Forey being interviewed together and just talking about nice. the kind of roles they've done over the years. And then also Rusty Kundiev, who directed um, Tales from the Hood, uh, kind of talks about filmmaking with Ernest Dickerson, who was Spike Lee's cinematographer for a long time, and then he went on to make horror movies like Demon Knight and Bones. And... Uh, it ends on a pretty optimistic note because it came out right before us came out. So it does include Jordan Peele winning an Oscar for get out and talking about like, Oh, maybe that's going to open the door for more of these kind of social thrillers and, and more um, horror movies with black representation. And it's looking good, you know, um, in terms of like this year, you know, we're getting that Candyman movie and we're also getting antebellum. So I'm hoping we get to, oh, yeah. we get those actually come out and we get to see more, um, movies like that with like that perspective so i'm excited for that but it's a great documentary it's very interesting to see where to see the history of this um this genre and my other little pick is also a documentary also on shutter uh 
And this one I'm doing for Pride Month, and it's called Scream Queen, My Nightmare on Elm Street. It's about um, Nightmare on Elm Street 2 and the guy who starred in it, Mark Patton. Do you guys know about the story behind Nightmare on Elm Street 2? Mm-mm. So no, I don't. it's this, uh, it, it's a reasonable hit, but um, around the time it came out, people were like, is this the gayest movie ever made? Is this the gayest <laughs> horror movie ever made? Because it's a movie where like Freddy Krueger... First of all, it stars um, a man as opposed to like a woman. It doesn't have a final girl; it has a final boy. And Freddy Krueger's like trying to get in his body. And there's like um, a shower scene where a guy's tack naked in his shower. There's a scene in like a leather bar, and it's very homoerotic. And it's it's a very interesting movie. But this talks about Mark Patton, who is the star, and how he had this kind of um, he had this up and coming career. He was like in a Robert Altman movie, and he, things were looking good. And then he started in this movie. Um, and like I said, it did fine, but then once all these articles started coming out about, about this being like um, a gay horror movie, the writer of the movie is like, oh, this isn't a gay horror movie. Uh, I blame the guy who started it. He's gay. He ruined everything. And it kind of um, it outed Mark Patton, and he couldn't get work anymore because, you know, this was like the height of the um, AIDS epidemic. So people just didn't want to work with him, and he kind of just mm-hmm. disappeared for like 20 30 years and then eventually resurfaced in like the 2000 like 2010 around uh, and started doing the convention circuits and talking about his experiences with the movie and this is him yeah like kind of going through his life and, and kind of rediscovering that the movie has this new fan base and how it's actually really popular in the gay community and then also him his mission of the movie is to confront the writer of the movie and, and like it have him admit that he made a gay movie and that you know like he shouldn't have blamed him for like all this stuff and uh it's very compelling very interesting mark Patton, he's a great dude you know he does a lot of these conventions and he gives a lot of his um what he makes from them to uh certain like uh charities to lgbt and um like the trevor project and stuff so oh, cool. it's, pretty, it's pretty good Do you have to have seen the uh the nightmare nah, Elfrey movie nah, you don't it's i i kind of like that movie. it's a very interesting movie it's so gay. Like it's definitely a gay movie, um, and I think that. But I think that makes it way more interesting than most of the other ones. So, uh, yeah, you don't need to see it, and it, they just added it on Shutter like a week ago. Well, for my pick, I feel like I gotta give it to RTJ4, the fourth album from Run the Jewels, the now sort of long-running project uh, that. Killer Mike and LP have been doing for a while now. I guess it's it's kind of just their main <laughs> their main thing now. I don't, I don't know if this is going to be like the last album they do. It kind of feels like it, but uh, it's been out for about a week, and it might be my favorite Run the Jewels album. I really like it. Um, their last album, I, I wasn't as high on as the first two. It definitely saw them like. I don't know, trying to reach outside of their their usual sweet spot of just, like, super intense uh, beats and just, like, the most braggadocious, like, I don't know, rhymes where they're just, like, trying to one-up each other and just, like, being so badass. I don't know. It's really hard to talk about them without sounding really lame because they just make the coolest fucking most intense rap music and this album, it, it definitely feels like they're a little more mature. Not as not as many like dick jokes in their rhymes as before. It definitely sees them leaning even more into uh, 
like socially relevant lyrics. Uh, it especially feels timely that it, this album came out this week. There's a song called Walking in the Snow in particular where Killer Mike's talking about, you know, how people see black men being killed on the news by police and people go online and will write Twitter rants about it and that's about all they do. <laughs> and I suppose there is something hopeful uh, seeing that like more is happening now than, than what we're used to seeing. Um, but, but I mean, that's the kind of stuff from the jewels and especially killer Mike have been writing about in the past before. It's just like, now it feels even more <laughs> vital and just satisfying to hear them tackle these subjects and do it with just the most <laughs> intense, awesome production around it's just a really exhilarating album and and i don't know some of their other albums are exhilarating in the way where i just get sort of worn out <laughs> but this one it's just like just the right amount of of awesome that i'm just like i'm into it i don't feel exhausted by the end of the album uh it's it's real cool dude that ooh la la song i've had stuck in my head all week yeah that's a that's an earworm <laughs> two other notes i just found out this was co-produced by josh homie or from a from a you know that band I guess, Stone Age. yeah the fuck i did not know that also i didn't realize that every single run the jewels album has got a best new music on on pitchfork how many other artists <laughs> do you think have done that yeah they have been very consistent uh, oh except for meow the jewels didn't get a best new music well I'm not even really sure. What is Wait, that Wait, what is that? I think they remixed all of uh, Run the Jewels 2, but just they switched out their rhymes for, like, cat meows. It still got, like, a seven. or It still got, like, pretty good. <laughs> no, no, it didn't. It got a cat emoji with, like, heart eyes. That's what That was Pitchfork's official rating. Wow. It was a cat emoji. Oh, speaking of that, if you review uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire on Letterboxd, instead of stars, it's flames. I looked at your review and I saw flames on the side. I was like, what? I don't remember. Did they changed this? I didn't realize it was just for that movie. That's cool. Just for that movie. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, <laughs> Definitely going to check out this Meow the Jewels at some point. <laughs> Wait, 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 wait. I'm on Wikipedia, and it says the song Let's Go, which was not on the album, was featured in the superhero film Venom, which is how this album was announced. So, what, like, a B-side of this album was in Venom, and that's how we knew there was going to be a new Run the Jewels album? I, I mean, I guess. Do you have a problem with that? You sound like yeah. you do. It's probably just <laughs> was an indication that they were working on new music. Oh, makes, makes sense okay. to me. <laughs> that makes more sense now. I'm just like, fucking Venom. Yeah. God, I hate Venom for no reason. <laughs> we gotta watch Venom, you guys. When we get back from, from break on the podcast, we gotta we're, watch Venom. We're gonna have to catch up with all our superhero blind spots. Colin will have to watch Ang Lee Hulk. <laughs> John, I have to watch Venom. I watch Justice League too, as well. Justice League. Justice League. Ugh. You gotta, you gotta watch that one quick because it's leaving HBO Max apparently, and you got to wait for the oh, Snyder no. cut. 
I gotta finish Aquaman. I've watched the first hour of Aquaman. <laughs> oh, you gotta finish Aquaman. That's yeah, fine. Like, like Wonder Woman's actually good, but like Aquaman's like kind of good. It's fun. Very different I just way. Didn't finish it for some reason. So let's talk about Lynn Shelton. Uh, the most important thing you need to know about her is that despite being born in uh, Oberlin, Ohio, she was raised in Seattle and is all about Washington State. Um, she went to Garfield High School. I had to look that one up to see uh, what high school she went to. Just just on the off chance, it was Lake Washington High School. Jeffrey D. Morgan sure. went to our high school. But, He's got a show on AMC she, right now where you just like hang out with his family. I feel like... The talented people from Seattle only go to Garfield High School. <laughs> Isn't that also where, like, Jimi Hendrix and Quincy Jones went? Well, are you... Yeah, yeah, they did. But you're saying Jeffrey D. Morgan isn't talented? <sighs> he's... Uh, <laughs> I mean, he's, yeah, sure. He's fairly talented. And but Fleet Foxes. But he, but they're not from Seattle. They're from uh, Kirkland, eh, same Washington. Same it's all the same old shit. It's a weird thing to say about your hometown, but sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Lynn Sheldon, all about the Pacific Northwest. Love it. She uh, she also went to um, the UW School of Drama, uh, and also back to Oberlin College before uh, she earned her MFA in photography and related media at uh, the School of Visual Arts in Manhattan. Which uh, started her career in the film industry. She, uh, I guess, worked as an editor on movies I hadn't heard of, so I didn't bother to take notes on them. Um, and it wasn't until she was in uh, her late 30s that she, uh, she worked up the courage to make her own films and be a writer and a director. So um, I think she said she was inspired by Claire Denis, uh, that, that, that was, she was another director who had... Uh, not gotten started until in her, she was in her late 30s, early 40s. Uh, and you know, that gives hope to, to all of us, right? Yeah, that's very inspirational. Never too, Never too old, too yeah. As long as you have that passion. Uh, her, her first uh, directorial feature was called We Go Way Back. It came out in 2006. Uh, I couldn't find this one. Have you guys seen this movie? Nope. Do you have any idea if this is like Mumblecore or is this not quite Mumblecore? She's always seemed like she was Mumblecore adjacent. <laughs> I, yeah, and I think that's because of of Hump Day and and because that movie has Mark Duplass in it. Yeah, the um, king of Mumblecore. I kind of feel like Lynn Shelton is Mumblecore if it looked good. <laughs> like <laughs> like they could be the plots of Mumblecore movies, but they're like they're not full of as as many like zooms and like shaky camera work and. <laughs> I'd say Hump Day is the most, at least that I've seen, Mumblecore-esque. But the other ones, they're like they're too well photographed to be Mumblecore movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't know how much of this one takes place in a room like Hump Day does, but it does say it's uh, it's about a young woman who and like enters a dialogue with her younger self, uh, talking about their their dreams, or I guess you know whatever. A twenty-three-year-old talking to a thirteen-year-old about how how her life is going to turn out and i believe Um, that is filmed in seattle yes all of her films except for one were filmed in washington state um 
and uh, we go way back debuted at at the slam dance film festival which i hadn't heard of but it sounds like that's like an even more indie sundance film festival it's like if you want to get even more indie if if, if sundance is too much of a corporate fuck you can show up to slam <laughs> I mean, dance it kind of is these days yeah in 2006 oh whatever um anyway it won both uh best cinematography and best narrative feature there um which i think really kick-started her career uh it also had largely improvised dialogue it sounds like which became a, a staple of a lot of the lynn shelton films uh her second one was my effortless brilliance which is about um dudes dudes <laughs> in the woods uh, it's about a, a, an, an author who must confront nature and friendship when he travels to the Washington backwoods to restore the tattered remains of a broken friendship. Um, wow, I believe I the, yeah, yeah ahead, I was go. just going to say. Same stars, fun fact, I bet. Yeah, it stars Sean Nelson, lead singer of Harvey Danger, who's also a longtime music editor at The Stranger. So another guy. <laughs> He's got lots of Seattle cred. Um. And yeah, it looks super indie, and uh, it's probably fun to watch. It looks like you can watch that one on the IFC app if you if you have access to that. Um, but these are the only two Lynn Shelton movies I have not watched yet. I can I can weigh in, give you some expertise <laughs> on on the others as we go through her filmography. Uh, but her first uh, big deal success. Uh, the the movie that actually won a prize at the at Sundance, not Slamdance, the real Sundance was Hump Day, uh, which is a, a movie about uh, two heterosexual friends. Uh, we already mentioned Mark Duplass and also John's guy, My Joshua man, Leonard. Joshua Leonard, Blair Witch Project. How crazy is it that he came? He went from Blair Witch Project to being in like indie art house dramas. Very cool. Um, they play uh, these guys who haven't seen each other in 10 years and they meet up and um, to really stretch their uh, their Seattle or Lynn Shelton Seattle cred uh, they decide to make a, a gay porn film for uh, the Hump Film Festival which is a small pornographic film festival here in the city that's put on by The Strangers so another connection to Sean Nelson Um and it's uh i think these these two my fearless brilliance and hump day uh kind of gave lynn shelton this credibility of being like uh sort of like a judd apatow in that she like gets masculinity in a way that not a lot of filmmakers do and and is able to approach dudes being dudes in a novel and vulnerable way um I haven't gone back and revisited Hump Day since probably 2010, though. Have, have either of you seen it more recently? I saw it for the first time maybe four or five years ago. I, I, I really liked it. I, I remember that after I watched it, I was like, I didn't think you could make a movie that was like that deep. That was also, you know, that cheap and on such a small scale and just people in rooms talking to each other. Yeah, I, I really like Hump Day. Yeah, the, the vast majority of the film is them just in a hotel room. Um, that's sweet. 
Also, fun. Uh, she fall- I was going to say fun fact. Yeah. It got remade in 2012 as a French movie called Do Not Disturb, starring uh, Francois Clouzet, who's the star of The Untouchables. So really, he's like pretty. He's like pretty A-list over there too. So that's that's interesting. Toronto International Film Festival. Um, her next film came out in 2011, so we're now five years into her uh, career and four movies in. That's that's pretty cool. Um, and it was called Your Sister's Sister. Uh, another movie starts in Seattle, ends up in the woods. Uh, this one was shot, I believe, on the San Juan Islands. You guys know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're telling me everything I want to hear. I was just like, oh, I got to uh, look up where it was filmed. And then you drop that. I'm like, oh, yes. <laughs> Love it. How have I not um, seen this movie? God, this seems like such a movie built for me. Mike Birbiglia? Yeah, so... It does. It it opens up with Mike Birbiglia giving a speech. Um, and uh, it's in honor of Mark Duvall's deceased brother, who I think you see a photograph of. Right? And isn't it Jay Duplass? Oh, that'd be so good if it is. I don't remember. I just rewatched it recently. <laughs> Maybe you like just it's you know you just barely see the. It's not like a close up of this photo, Maybe. but I feel like it was a photo of Jay. Duplass. Maybe you're projecting Jay Duplass onto that photo. <laughs> it could be. Um. Uh. So he uh, he's having a bad time. It's been about a year since his brother died, and his best friend Iris, uh, who's played by Emily Blunt. Uh, convinces him to go ride his bike and take the ferry up to her father's cabin uh, and to sort of disconnect from society, which is just something everybody in Washington gets to do. It is our way. We all have to take time and go to the woods. So it's us and then, I guess, people in like Wisconsin get to do that. Oregon. Um... But when he gets to the cabin, he runs into Hannah, who is played by Rosemary DeWitt. Uh, that's Iris's sister, and she's there because she just broke up with her longtime partner. Uh, so they're both going through some stuff. They get drunk. They have a little sex. Uh, and then Iris shows up, and things get really complicated. Um, I thought this movie was a, a lot of fun. Uh, and also uh, had some emotionally satisfying parts to it as well. Um, it also like sets a tone of of Lynn Shelton movies ending on a very interesting note of like it's both a satisfying conclusion and you really want to know what's going to happen next, um, which I which I feel like continues on through the rest of her filmography. Uh, the most interesting thing about your sister's sister to me though was what the fuck was Emily Blunt doing with her accent? Cause it sounded like she was not really trying to do an American accent. And, uh, what I found out was that originally Rachel Wise was going to play the part of Hannah that ended up going to Rosemary DeWitt. And she left the project three days before they started shooting. Um, so, Props to uh, Rosemary DeWitt for giving such a great performance despite having like no prep time. And also, I totally understand Emily Blunt probably not wanting to learn how to do an American accent in like three days. Well, I, to I, make that I mean, I remember there's one scene in the film where they say that they were kids, I think, from different marriages or something. And she, Yeah, I think they're half siblings. Yeah, so Emily Blunt, like, 
was from a marriage that their dad had when he was living in England. Which, of course, is the kind of thing you can just throw in when you're improvising a whole movie. Mostly. Mostly. Uh, but I think, I think um, trying to improvise a movie kind of bit her in the butt when Lynn Shelton made her next film, Touchy Feely, which I think is the only one of her movies that has a negative rating on uh, like Metacritic and Rotten Tomatoes. And I know why. It's because it's boring. Uh, she reunites with Rosemary DeWitt, who uh, this time plays a, a massage therapist who suddenly develops an aversion to skin when uh, her boyfriend, Jesse, who's played by Scoot McNary, nice, um, proposes that uh, they move in together. Uh, it also has, at the same time, a story involving Rosemary DeWitt's brother, uh, played by Josh Pays. A phone booth. <laughs> phone booth. Uh, who is just like playing the most awkward, uncomfortable person ever in a movie, uh, which is kind of his type. I, you know, I don't blame him for sticking to what he knows. Um, but he's like a super boring dentist who's running the family practice. It's slowly going out of business. He makes his daughter, uh, who's played by Ellen page work with him there. Um, but suddenly he finds out that he has a magic healing touch and he starts curing his patients, uh, chronic jaw pain. And so the, the business is becoming saved because everybody wants to come for a magical treatment. And he's like, Oh, I'm so awkward. I, I don't, I don't think so guys. And then the movie ends where everybody's like, if you take drugs, you can just figure out <laughs> your problems. Uh, also Ron Livingston's in it and Allison Janney. Um, and yeah, I just think it's it's too improvised. It's too loosey goosey. It's it's an intriguing premise, but they 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 probably should have spent more time figuring it out before they made the movie. Um, but you guys, Touchy Feely does have a shot of our favorite Seattle landmark, the Zymogenetics Building. Zymogenetics. What do they do there? Do they make Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Fun fact: Josh Pace was in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> Who was he in Teach Me Ninja Turtles? I'm looking it up. He was the voice of Raphael. So he, Wasn't he, he went, Damn! <laughs> See, and that's not awkward. How did he become so lame? He's had a pretty impressive um, career as a character actor. It's He's like one of these actors, like, I've seen so many of these movies that he's in, but, like, I don't remember him in any of them. <laughs> like, he's in Joker. Don't, I don't, like, okay, I don't remember him in Joker. He's in Adventureland. Synecdoche, New York, The Station Agent. It's like, yeah, a lot of good stuff, but like, I don't remember many of these. <laughs> but I definitely remember Damn. Damn! Hell yeah. Um, I, I, this, I was going to bring up, though, um, Genetics went out of business last year. Oh, so that's... right now, the Genetics building is empty. Mm. And who knows what's going to happen next. But I hope if there is a new tenant there, they better fucking not tear that building down or change it Fuck. um perhaps because of the all the improvising and uh, and the not not success of touchy feely uh lynn shelton's next film was laggies which uh she did not write um it was written by a novelist named andrea siegel 
who I don't know much about, except for the fact that she totally gaslit um, Lynn Shelton on this movie by convincing her that laggies was like a common phrase that people use for like adults who are like in arrested development and not like uh, starting their careers and doing something with themselves after college. Uh, but it's just it's just a term that she made. <laughs> Um, this movie, it is shot in Seattle, but based on the trailer, I was just assumed it was set in Los Angeles because it's such a like Los Angeles people movie. It stars, well, Keira Knightley's British, but also uh, Mark Webber's in this as her boyfriend, who is the you know he's kind of like touchy feely. He's trying to propose and trying to accelerate the relationship, and she's unsure about it. Um, Ellie Kemper, the uh, the token comedian in this one. Just like uh, Berbiglia in Your Sister's Sister. Uh, Jeff Garland plays Keira Knightley's dad. Uh, but mostly it follows Keira Knightley's character as she uh, runs away from her life and tries to go hide out um, with a teenage girl in her, in her house. Uh, the teenage girl is Chloe Grace Moretz. Um, and she has a single dad uh, who is super hot lawyer played by <laughs> Sam Rockwell. He's just like really charming. And and that's 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 what draws me to that movie is like I just want to be seduced by Sam Rockwell real quick. He's a hot lawyer dad. Um, and things kind of go the way you'd expect with this sort of movie. I I think this is a like a solid like three maybe maybe on a good day three and a half star <laughs> movie. Um, with maybe maybe extra points for just it being shot in Seattle. Official selection of the Ellensburg Film Festival. Hell yes. Very exclusive. Yeah. I remember thinking it was a perfectly pleasant movie. (laughs) It didn't quite have that Lynn Sheldon touch to it, but I guess that's why she didn't write it. And it it felt a little more like a a studio film, which I guess it kind of was her big, her first more, I don't know, mainstream movie. Something I noticed when I watched it that I've never asked our friend Kristen Evling about is I believe she has a credit in that movie for like a skate what? for like a skateboard stunt. Wow. Oh, like, like I remember seeing yeah. in the credits is like skateboard stunt coordinator Kristen Evling. Wow. The stunt. Never asked her about it though. Did you notice the stunt in the movie? I mean, yeah, there's like a skateboarding scene. It's a couple. That's how she bonds with the with the uh, team. Is a skating yeah. movie? Nice. <laughs> That's super cool. Yeah, we should we should reach out to Chris about <laughs> what the deal was with that. Um, yeah, and this this did uh you know elevate her to a slightly higher level. Uh, her next movie is the one we're going to talk about, Outside In, which uh, has another you know roughly approximately sort of not quite a list cast uh but it got to debut at uh toronto international film festival uh it was picked up by netflix Uh, you know it's like kind of a big deal and uh and the movie she made after outside in um was sort of trust which um got to debut at south by southwest that movie is the only one that is not set in Seattle or Washington State. Uh, it's uh, set in Birmingham, Alabama, uh, and very deliberately because it tells the story of um, 
Cynthia and Mary, who are played by Jillian Bell and Michaela Watkins, uh, who uh, go to collect their inheritance from uh, Cynthia's deceased grandfather. They're expecting to get the house, and instead what they get is a sword. But not just any sword, General Sheridan's sword, which they believe, uh, or her grandfather believed, was a proof that the North had surrendered and the South had secretly won the Civil War, and there was a huge conspiracy uh, set in place to hide the fact that the, um, that the North had actually lost the Civil War. They end up taking the sword to a pawn shop that's owned and operated by uh, Mark Marin's character, uh, alongside his goofy co-worker, uh, who's played by John Bass, or Bass. I don't know how to spell it when it's, or pronounce it when it's, uh, when it's your last name, I guess you go either way. I'll do deep dive on this. This guy's this guy's in like uh, the the newsroom. Um, was he in Baywatch? I <laughs> yeah, I think the he's the, guy the, Baywatch. the goofy guy in Baywatch. I get out with these muscle heads. <laughs> um, but yeah, the this movie lives and dies on its four main cast members, and I think they're all. Um, pretty funny uh, again i wouldn't put this one like it feels more mainstream than the other lynn shelton movies and uh and and for that reason it's more like a three three and a half star movie for me that said it does have original music throughout soundtrack by mark Marin, so i'm sure you're gonna enjoy that colin sure only colin only me also, we should mention she was directing a lot of TV throughout making all That's, of these movies, which is very impressive that she was so yeah. prolific in like this 15-year span. Here's, here's the list I made. Mad Men, New Girl, Mindy Project, Fresh Off the Boat, Master of None, Casual, Shameless, Ghosted, Love, Glow, AP Bio, Dickinson, The Morning Show, Little Fires Everywhere, plus two Mark Maron comedy specials. Basically, if you've watched TV in the past decade, you probably watched something that Lynn Shelton directed. Yeah. Um, and, and everybody talked about um, what a cool person she was and what a confident presence she had on set. Um, it sounded like everybody um, loved being around her, which uh, you can see in the last short film she made, uh, which was a love letter to Seattle at the start of the... Um, the global pandemic um, where she encourages people to find things um, that bring them joy and to pursue them while they're stuck at home. And for her, that was, uh, she, she's picking up the new skill of learning how to edit films on her phone. And also uh, she loves to sing and sing in the bathtub. Um, and so she put together on her phone a montage of some of her celebrity friends that she was able to pressure into singing for her, um, which is a very sweet thing to do. And, uh, and it's also a crazy bummer to watch that now because she did die uh, in, in mid-May of a, uh, I guess, blood disorder, uh, which is unfortunate because... I, I just talked about what like eight movies she made and I liked all of them except for one which is fine it's just boring um, and I, I think she was 
she was trending upwards and was was due to have some huge hit at some point um yeah that's what i kind of felt like watching this movie outside it was like she definitely could have had like a big indie crossover hit that like got a best original screenplay nomination or something like she could have done it but life happens in all the wrong ways sometimes (laughs) it's like a weird tagline yeah it is that could be a tagline to lots of movies what was the tagline? life happens in all the wrong ways sometimes yeah, it definitely feels like a tagline to like a romantic comedy. Maybe a thriller if it was a little tighter. <laughs> that would it would take out the sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Always. But the tagline for Outside In was things are never the same on the outside. Uh, because this is a movie about a uh, an ex-con struggling to readjust to small town life uh, after after getting out after uh, twenty years in prison. Um, as far as the production of this movie, the only uh, real note that I saw that intrigued me was that um, Lynn Sheldon talked about really wanting to do something with Jay Duplass having. Um, not not had him as the lead actor in any of her movies yet and being inspired by his work on transparent she she wanted to bring him in and do something that, that focused on him uh and i think it is a a, a, a great showcase for the uh, the i think slightly lesser known of the two duplis brothers certainly for his acting um well go ahead oh no i was just i was just looking at jay duplis's uh acting roles and it's just weird how he like he did a, he had a brief role in nights and weekends such as a greta gerwig and a joe swanberg movie and then like didn't act again until like 2015 <laughs> like why wasn't he acting he's so he's, he's it's just like i, I always assumed back like when i was in the deepest was like, oh jay probably can't act he's probably just like good with cameras so it's weird that like he's just as good maybe better or at least as good as mark so i always just find that interesting i don't know where that came from interesting yeah he just needs to do a sitcom i guess <laughs> do you think him and J- him and mark could do one together Ooh. like like really crappy multi-camera sitcom. <laughs> <laughs> live studio audience give what would that the big be about applauses. maybe about like their filmmakers i don't know maybe they're like uh they're like weird dads who are trying to start a youtube channel oh that's good like that <laughs> Look, I'm flossing. Maybe you should floss your teeth sometimes. <laughs> which one's which in your mind when you did that scene? <laughs> I feel like Mark is. Ooh, I feel I want to say Mark is the slob. I just just I, I think because so he's because he was in Creep, so he's just <laughs> better suited for being the slob. Yeah. Yeah. Jay's more about the wisecracks. Yeah. <laughs> But Mark, he's willing to do more crazy stuff for the YouTube channel. Okay, so what's it called? The show. Uh, Ooh. Clickbait. Oh, that's pretty good. That's really good. It's, like, pretty boring, but, like, in the best way. Oh, yeah. 
Now that's such a TBS show, man. I'm so excited to see Clickbay on TBS. <laughs> Very funny. <laughs> All right, we did it. It's got Josh Pace on it as two. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, it does. Is he their dad or is he like one of their bosses? He's not old to be their dad, right? He's got to be like what, fifty-four years old? I guess the Duplass brothers just seem eternally youthful, though. But I yeah, guess you know, the that's... whole conceit of the show is that they're dads. <laughs> so yeah. Who could play the Duplass brothers' dad? Be <sighs> like uh, Sam Waterston in a surprisingly goofy <laughs> role. I don't know, I just picked someone. I don't know why I picked Sam Waterston. He has prominent eyebrows. There's <laughs> a lot of good brows in that family. You went super old. I mean, I guess it makes sense. They're in their 40s, but God, Sam Waterston seems frail. Yeah, kind of veering back to talking about the movie, I did find it interesting that Jay Duplass was supposed to be playing like a guy in his late 30s when he's like in his late 40s. Uh, I just he does seem young, though. Yeah, I, I think he gets it. away with it. I think he does too. There's not like a, a, many points where like this movie I feel like could so easily have been super creepy, but I feel like they handle yeah. kind of taboo waters in the best way. And I think we'll get. I into think that. that. Yeah, I think that's sort of a, a trademark of these Lynn Shelton films, where you know your sister's sister has um, a pretty fucked up love triangle in it. And, uh, and 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 Laggies is about a relationship that I think in any other film would be insanely creepy, uh, but because it's handled well, it's only a little bit creepy, and mostly the creepy parts are played for comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, even sort of trust uh, is about you know some, some fucked up white supremacists getting taken advantage of. Uh, it's like a weird dynamic that, that she's playing with there um, but it, it, all, it all works you just fit into that world um, and, and yeah so so this movie is about uh, Chris is the, the recently released convict and her uh, uh, ex-con uh, and he wants to um, start a relationship with uh, Carol who is Edie Falco uh, who was his high school English teacher uh, and also his uh, his only pen pal during his uh, 20 years in prison and uh, the, the reason he got released because she has been uh, working with a group called Mandatory Minimums uh, to help uh, get him released which she has found to be very fulfilling work um, and I think you or at least I went into this assuming that there was going to be like uh, an implicit attraction for a while um, so I appreciated that Early on in the movie, Chris is like, hey, I want to be with you. And she's like, no, it's not going to happen. And he's like, okay. Um, like, they're, they're not beating around the bush about um, what what this movie is about, which is good. One thing I'm interested to know from you, Sean, is are there other Lynn Shelton movies that start out with a character giving a really awkward speech at a house party? Because <laughs> <laughs> that's also how your sister's sister begins i can't remember if it happens in any other ones um let me think so laggy's does sort of because it starts with the bachelorette party for um for ellie kemper Mm -hmm. um where they're going around and telling like dirty jokes and kira knightley does a really gross one and i was like what the fuck (laughs) okay um 
I, I guess it is just a nice way to establish with your audience that this character is a little bit off and a little bit of an outsider and nobody quite gets them. Yeah, and now that I think of it, Sort of Trust also starts with um, with Mark Maron's character. Um, like It shows him like appraising a uh, guitar and boots that someone has brought in to, to pawn at his shop and it sort of lets him uh, lets you see how he works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It is. It's a good way to to get to know these characters. Um, we also get to know uh, at the start of this movie, uh, Ted, who is Chris's brother, played by Ben Schwartz, of uh, the earliest show, one of one of my little picks this year, mm-hmm. this season, and, uh, and also I guess Sonic the Hedgehog. Um, uh, and I like that uh, the what's going on the relationship there is uh, it's pretty implicit the entire movie you don't you find out for sure why they have the dynamic that they do but you, they never really clarify uh, what happened that night that that made uh, Chris be the one to go to go to prison but uh, he clearly has some resentment issues and and ted's clearly dealing with his own guilt um so i thought it was cool to see you know this this funny guy playing a pretty like serious character uh i guess not unlike some of those other comedians i mentioned like mike birbiglia um getting in these these bit parts and 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 this movie I don't know if I need to do the sort of beat by beat breakdown that we do (laughs) (laughs) on this podcast because it really feels unnecessary to go through the plot. So maybe I'll just talk about the rest of the cast. So I think probably the next most important person to talk about is uh, Caitlin Dever, who's that child actor that I've I've like seen everything she does. She's in uh, Justified and uh, you know had a book smart. She's one of the leads in Booksmart. She was also in Laggies. Um, and in this, she plays uh, Edie Falco's daughter, uh, who, uh, when uh, when Chris comes over for breakfast at Edie Falco's house, they, uh, uh, they have sort of a connection. And then she feels bad for him when he goes to apply for a job um, at the uh, convenience store where she works. Uh, it's pretty embarrassing, and so they they strike up sort of a again like an an, an unusual friendship that could very well feel um, freaky or inappropriate or creepy uh, in another movie, but here you just feel so bad for for Jay Duplass that you're glad that he's able to make a friend even if it is a his crush's teen daughter. It it doesn't. I don't know. It, it didn't feel inappropriate to me. How did you guys feel? I about felt it? fine. I wasn't sure if most of the time she looked at him more as like a buddy or a brother, and it was just in that one moment of vulnerability that she thought maybe she liked him in another way. I wasn't sure if how she how she was supposed to feel the whole time, and I think that's one of the things that I liked about it. That it would definitely it wasn't like her like crushing on him the whole time, which would have made it creepy. It was just them getting along. And then her kind of, you know, since she's young, kind of being confused how to um, to make sense of that friendship. Um, so I thought it was handled very well. 
Yeah, and I, yeah. I think it's in the fact that he never seems to even <laughs> have any interest in her in, in a romantic way, and that hers is even like very subtle, like John mentioned. So it's like, yeah, there's there's never quite room for it to quite get creepy. And I do like how the film kind of turns from uh, Chris and Carol's relationship to Chris and, and Caitlin Deaver, because you don't really expect it. You kind of go into the the movie thinking it's just going to be about those two characters, but it uh, kind of surprises you. It's, it's so nice too to see a movie where a teen feels like a teen instead of some weird like parody of a teen. Like she get doesn't have any wisecracks. <laughs> yeah, just, just... this character would definitely be like in a weaker movie like this would definitely be the, the t- telling all the jokes and be on their phone all the time. So I'm glad they didn't do that. She's not Juno, home slice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd like to see the Juno version of this movie. Actually, no, it's, I don't. It's want funny. To because it occurs to me that it actually it does her relationship with Chris does parallel um, Ellen Page's relationship with Scoot McNary in uh, Touchy Feely, uh, where uh, in that Ellen Page thing, her character thinks Scoot McNary's like super cool, um, and and so you, it's not like sure you're not like sure if they want to just be friends or if she's actually interested in him but also he's clearly not interested in her which is good because it keeps it from ever being creepy um although also ellen page is not un, at least i don't think like underage in in 2013 she must have been an yeah. adult she felt like an adult uh the next person on the on the cast list to talk about would be charles leggett uh <laughs> I have no idea who that is, but he plays uh, the the husband character, uh, Edie Falco, Carol's husband. Uh, and I, <laughs> I thought this guy was great. I was just like, this is this terrible husband. Just <laughs> like, he, like his stance is just like, like we put the time in. Let's just run out the clock and go. We've been together this long. He does have a great like introductory scene for. <laughs> establishing that he's an asshole where Carol like comes home I think she's maybe been with Josh or not Josh <laughs> it's from Transparent with Chris uh, uh-huh. and has kind of made a decision to stay faithful to her husband and that her husband's just like what are you doing you're bugging me I have to sleep <laughs> in his separate bedroom he's like sleeping in his office yeah it's like okay <laughs> this is what she's holding on to. This guy sucks. Yeah. I like it in that scene where you think he's gonna beat up Chris, but then Chris just like hits him in the shin. Yeah, he just kicks him in the shin and he goes down hard. Love it. Like that. Yeah, and 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 uh, you know he helps uh, Carol go on her her journey of of awakening and. Um, you know, the movie really summarizes it at the end when she talks about how she had settled for a simple life for most of her life and realized that she wanted to uh, to do something more fulfilling and uh, and that did not fit with her <laughs> shitty husband mm-hmm. 
just wants her to st- just keep doing what they've been doing. Just keep on keeping on for another few years, and then he can retire and they can die. Hey, while we're talking about cast, if you're a fan of this podcast, um, I actually don't know if we've talked about this on the podcast, how there's certain actors that appeared more than once, and we're still waiting for that one actor to appear three times on an episode of The Pick. Did you see, Sean, that yeah. we got another actor who got their second appearance? It's a smaller actor. Did you notice this? Oh, I didn't notice. Who so is it? So Matt Malloy, he plays one of Edie Falco's co-workers at the school. He was the uh, the, the guy working at the bank in Changing Lanes. <laughs> <laughs> I also know him from a funny guest spot on Malcolm in the Middle. He's in a lot of movies too, so we'll probably Matt Malloy will probably be our, uh, our 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 guy for for number three. Wow, he's been in another one of these actors like Josh Pace, where he's like, I've seen a lot of these. I'm not don't really remember him in these movies though. <laughs> he's in Armageddon. He's in Election. He's an Elephant. He was in Choke. I've seen a lot of these. Battle of the Sexes. Looks like he's been in some other uh, Duplass things, too. I see Togetherness and Jeff, who lives at home, just yeah, starting to go funny. through. Yeah, uh, funny. So that was interesting that he's in here in a very minor role. Uh, that's cool. But yeah, maybe Matt Malloy will be our, uh, our, like, our, 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 our number one guy here on the pick. We'll see. Something to, so, just something to get people excited for next season. <laughs> you know I like to talk about in regards to this movie? Is yeah, is how it. proud it makes me that like Lynn Shelton like is a Washington filmmaker and presents Washington in this way where it really just feels like home, and I was so impressed that they filmed it in like no, like northern like Washington like they didn't even like pick a glamorous part of Washington they picked like most of it I think is what what's that place called Granite Falls it's in this it's in the um the movie as well like on some signs and stuff and Everett like they didn't go and film out in, like somewhere nice like the Olympic Peninsula or something. Just like this is the real Washington, where everyone dresses kind of like crappy, like kind of lumberjacky, and it's always perpetually wet, and everyone's very soft-spoken. Um, I don't know. It just it gave me this feeling, like oh man, this just feels like home. I can't really explain it. Yeah, I mean, she definitely got better at like shooting Washington in a in a more cinematic way. It seems like as her career progressed, where Hump Day is like. It's a very Seattle-feeling movie, but it it doesn't really let you bask in the sights and sounds of Seattle because it's all just in, like, homes and hotel rooms and stuff. Um, Which is also her shooting on a shoestring budget, right? Sure. Like, those are, like... She's, like, shooting in, like, someone she knows home. Yeah. And, like, like, everything was like, she's getting a deal. She's <laughs> working with somebody she knows. Because there's no reason a scene where a guy rides his bike through Granite Falls, Washington, should look this good. Like, it, those scenes are very beautiful. There's a lot of great just... Just just him riding his bike. It's just, like, a really nice score. All the trees. Yeah, we got a lot of trees here. We do. Do you miss the trees, Colin, not being in Washington anymore? Yeah, I do miss the trees. I miss the mountains, too. Pennsylvania's really flat. Not a lot of hills. Yeah, it's it's a it's, it's a nice place to live, grow up. I miss it. It must be Granite Falls, by the way, because I'm looking at the like Wikipedia picture for Granite Falls, and I'm just like, I'm pretty sure there's a shot in the movie where they drive on this street. I kept like I I I wasn't like pausing it, but I would like look up locations and like, have I been there? Have I been there? Because because <laughs> I, I saw that some of us shot in Everett, and obviously like I have family in Everett, so I've been to Everett hundreds of times. But it looks like. 
it was mostly Granite Falls, which I have actually never been to. That's like 40 minutes north of Everett. So it's like getting close to Canada. And I feel like they mentioned someone like mom didn't want to come down from Canada or something. Mm-hmm. Like a throwaway line. Because like the high school, they just shot it. I think it's just called Granite Falls High School. It's got like a big tiger on the side of the <laughs> school. So I wonder how that happens. How do you shoot a place like that? Well, that's what I like about it. She just, she'll just shoot any... She's just happy to be anywhere in Washington. All of Washington has a feel to it. But yeah, it's... um, I don't know if you if you watch a movie like this and you really like walk away having learned a lesson about um, like the, the prison industrial complex or anything like that. Like, Yeah, it's, it's not like an issues movie. It's not like Dead Man Walking or something. Where it's no, trying to teach yeah. you about what's fucked up better criminal justice system but that's what's kind of nice about it too is it it dwells on the more human aspects of like you know readjusting to being a member of society again after spending your time in prison and it does it in a way that's not like super depressing (laughs) where like nothing's working out for him which I'm sure happens to a lot of ex-cons I felt yeah, well, and and specifically people that have served like this sort of time, like twenty years, they're coming out, and and like you see in this movie, they're like, oh, what are smartphones? Yeah, everyone's on the internet now. What's that all about? How do I print stuff? Um, and yeah, that like like Colin said, it's not um, it's not depressing. It's just him adjusting to what it's like out here. I wanted more scenes of him not like understanding stuff anymore. I remember there's that scene where there's that other. A woman who's like, I used to have a crush on you, and he's like, oh, you like any movies? And she's like, I, I like Saw. And he's like, he probably doesn't really like know what that is, right? I want more of this. Yeah. I don't know. I think I think maybe I'll wrap it up here. I think uh, this is a this is a good uh, movie. I would say it's it's one of my favorites of of Lynn Sheldon's. Uh, I'd probably put Your Sister's Sister as as the number one. You got to see Lynn Sheldon film though. It definitely made me want to watch more Lynn Sheldon, seeing that I haven't watched that many. Because it's weird. It's like it's a cozy. Like the films I've seen are like like at least this one. It's it's kind of cozy in a way, but it also gives you something to think about. It's also kind of sad, but it's not like a downer. It's somewhere mm-hmm. in the middle of all of that. It's like all the tones are balanced so perfectly. So I really look forward to checking out some other ones. I definitely recommend it. Oh, cool. Yeah, I'm just glad we watched it because I feel like it barely came out. <laughs> like, it, it got a little bit of a theatrical release, I think, but it was, like, almost straight to Netflix. And it wasn't even, like, a film that towards the end of 2017 critics were like, hey, this movie was overlooked, you should see it. It just got kind of completely lost in the shuffle. But Like, it doesn't uh, sound like it's going to be the most exciting movie. No, it really doesn't. But it's it's quite good. I'm not surprised. Yeah, I, I mean, it shows the power of casting someone a bit more high profile. Like, I know the the you know the first four names on this cast list pretty well, and I get excited about them. Mm-hmm. But you have to wonder if uh, you know if it was someone more famous. I can't, for some reason I can't think of any celebrities. If it's someone more famous. 
if it was Sam Rockwell in this, you know, would would people have paid more attention to it instead of Jay Duplass? Jeffrey Dean Morgan. <laughs> you guys, Jeffrey Dean Morgan. He went to a high school. He's so famous. He's got a show on AMC. Show I feel respect. Like, I feel like he's about at the same level as Jay Duplass. No, offense. no way, dude, dude. He's got that stupid baseball bat character on Walking Dead <laughs> that everyone true, loves. Yeah. Negan. He's got a cult following. Right. He's raised the flag at a Seahawks game. I'm sure Jay Duplass hasn't also, contended any sports event ever. Yeah, he's... <laughs> also, for what it's worth, I've heard that Jeffrey D. Morgan is like the nicest guy, and like he uses his celebrity to like rescue animals, and he has like a llama farm or something. He's just sounds like he's got a show dude. where you just hang out with his family. <laughs> Yeah, a quarantine show right now. It's, it's called like fr- Friday Night in with the Morgans. <laughs> All right, dude. Sorry. He can be on our, our our TBS show, dude. He can like show up as like the great like the rowdy uncle, and he wants like their videos to be really inappropriate. I don't know. I just I feel like he can play sleazy, or he's just like their like weird neighbor. That too. It's like giving him advice, unsolicited advice. Can we do some kind of thing like on Home Improvement where like you don't quite see him like all the time, but you like you know it's him. <laughs> How do you do that without it being the top of your head? Maybe he, he went. Yeah, a, a failed experiment turned him invisible. <laughs> so you don't see him it's at his all. Voice. It's his voice showing you. Well, sometimes like he'll get like you know like it's like it'll rain and you'll see parts of his body in the rain. <laughs> that sounds like a complicated effect for live well, audience. I didn't know this, really, this show is like delving into high fantasy now. <laughs> it's got invisibility. Or sci fi or whatever the hell's going on here. Clickbait. Anything to get that click as your tagline. Anything to get that click sometimes. <laughs> the tagline. Sometimes. <laughs> I love this show. Colin, did you know the Invisible Man remake came out this year? Yeah. Did you see it's, that, Colin? It's the it's the main reason why I'm always like I should probably see that because oh I've God, seen so barely good. any movies from this year. It's it's so it's like my favorite movie of the year, which there's nope. not much competition right now. Nope. It's so good. All right. Elizabeth Moss just does so many good movies. I can't keep up. Yeah, she She's does. got another one coming out. Which, which That's Shirley Jackson. That one movie. is yeah. out on uh, streaming right now. It's on Hulu. <laughs> My Sorry, God. John. They keep pulling me back to Hulu. Sean. Yeah, Sean can just... Sean's Dr. X. He can use mine. I don't care. Yeah. I would be happy if Dr. X sat down and enjoyed Shirley. And devs and whatever else you recommend. Gosh, and, and okay, and Elizabeth Moss the next two movies: French Dispatch and Taika Waititi's Next Goal Wins. She just is only oh, wow. in things I want to see. <laughs> Scientology is really working out for her. Yeah, I'm not really sure where she's at with that. See, it definitely sounds like she's one of those people who's like kind of raised in it and just doesn't want to talk about it. Like Beck. I guess that's better. Well, I thought Beck was like, no, I'm not into that anymore. I don't remember though, but it's not oh, like she's one of those people him. who got into it, you know. Like if you're like raised into it, I feel like it's probably harder to get out of it because that's like that's your upbringing. By the way, 
uh, our top tens. Of, maybe it's the Mildly Pleased Awards. I talked about Beck. She got to throw in the towel, man. I feel bad about that. I felt bad about that <laughs> since I said it. I was just trying to spice up the podcast. I didn't. You've been doing it. a I'm lot sorry, of apologies Beck. on the pick lately, Sean. I feel like a couple episodes right ago you wrongs. apologized to to judging Johnny Depp too early about saying that he like gave up on uh, life or something. Poor Johnny Depp. So. Poor guy. He's had Set a new segment is Sean. Sean writes his <laughs> wrongs. Oh, I'm sure I we think... all got wrong. I'm going to write a wrong right now. I'm going to apologize for everything I ever said about Brendan Fraser. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, we all need to go on the record. Sorry, Brendan Fraser. Oh my Fraser. gosh, you're, you're a nice guy, and you still you, like I like that show, that DC show you're on. You're talented. Sorry. The thing I'm learning is that, like, if you have skeevy feelings about a dude, like a white dude, he's like, oh, that guy, I don't know anything that's wrong with him, but I get a bad vibe. Trust that feeling. (laughs) Like, they're probably probably part of some sort of institutional racism or sexism or uh, abuse. Like, it's, it's like it just keeps turning out that way. You might as well just lean into that feeling. And also, if someone just seems really sad, like Johnny Depp or Brendan Fraser, maybe it's because they're really sad and they're going through some shit. Just give them the benefit of the doubt, too, even though they're the white guys. Yeah, yeah. Maybe if someone just seems like a really great guy, they're probably a really great guy, like John Cena. <laughs> I, I, God, I thought you were just... You're just get Jeffrey D. Morgan, Colin. Jeffrey D. Morgan. <laughs> No. Stay on. You gotta stay on subject. Here. I don't think so. John Cena all the way. I'm not about that. You're gonna be apologizing about Jeffrey Dean Morgan the next episode we do. He's gonna like <laughs> save someone from a burning building. He's gonna save you from a burning building. You know, I'd I'd love to see it. I don't you're gonna really be, you're, wanna... you're gonna be in a burning building. He's gonna get on his horse. He's gonna ride all the way from his ranch mm-hmm. and rescue you. Well, I will appreciate it when it happens. And you know what? I appreciate him now. Even though I've seen not much that he's been. <laughs> we really gotta end this, but I feel like for a period of time, his thing was like Jeffrey Dean Morgan's the actor you gotta hire when like his death needs to set the motion like of the story into play. Okay, so that's definitely Watchmen. Is there another movie you're thinking it of? It also happens in um, Weeds. His death is what <laughs> really? starts. Is what's the you know, um, and I think isn't also s- supernatural. Isn't that also one where he is the same thing? I know there's another one. I can't remember the third one, but there's definitely at least three. Like, isn't he the dad on? Super- wow. Let me. Okay, I'm looking up. Super- God, there's so many seasons of Supernatural. All right, never see. No, I tried to watch one. It wasn't good. Um, yeah, Ooh. he's killed, and that's what like gets them into fighting the supernatural. That's his thing, man. That's his thing, and then being just the best person is his other thing. And going to our high school. Also, I found an article from 2015 where it says Jeffrey Dean Morgan lost 40 pounds by living on one can of tuna a day. That doesn't sound like what a good What did he always wait for? Uh... Uh, for his character on Grey's Anatomy. Oh. oh, Sean, also, he was Thomas Wayne, remember, in Dom of Justice? <laughs> Tough Thomas Wayne. A- action Thomas <laughs> Well, like, Wayne. again, getting killed, and then that sets everything into motion. <laughs> That's how the whole movie starts. <laughs> he's, like, he's got a super ripped as 
Top swing. Well, he's in like a tux, so you can't really tell. But what it was is, you know, in the mugging scene, yeah. like instead of what the way it's always depicted, where he's like at one end of the alley and Joe chills at the other, and, they sh- and he shoots him because he panics, and then you know the the pearls fly in the in the air. Um, they have him like run up to Joe Chill and like he's trying to like punch him in the face, <laughs> and that's why he gets shot. It's like he's a fucking billionaire. He would just he would give up his wallet. That's an irrelevant amount of money to him. He would not fight for it. He's looking for a fight. Yeah, because it's so fucking tough. Even though I guess he's probably not a doctor in in that version, like he is in the in Batman Begins. Uh, Anyway, I think um, I think we don't have to do our segments this time because there are no goofs listed on IMDb, and I'm guessing there's not a villains wiki entry. There should be for that. uh... For the husband. For the husband. Tom or whatever. His hobby's going to car Um, shows. His crime is... Ignoring people. Making Chris's life a living hell. Yeah, there you go. You nailed it. (laughs) On accident. Not even really trying. Well, so that concludes uh, another season of The Pick. I I don't think we... Like we we get to wait and find out what the pick is, right? We don't we don't tell it now, right? But we do have a Criterion Month, and we'll probably do a podcast we for have, that. We might even do two more podcasts this month if we can get it together, because we can do um, the Criterion Month draft as a podcast, and we might also do best of the year. So asking far. a short one. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, I feel like a decent amount of music and tv came out this year not so so much movies (laughs) i gotta warn you guys there might be a lot of jeffrey d morgan talk on that episode (laughs) we are slowly morphing into a jeffrey d morgan fan cast (laughs) i've never even seen him Uh, on walking dead the thing he's probably most famous for now uh and also it's the exact opposite of what i was telling us to do which is to like not become fans of things because you're just gonna have to end up apologizing for yeah. it later. No, good idea. Um, but whatever, we are who we are. We stand, Jeffrey T. Morgan. <laughs> <laughs> um, so go check out um, the filmography of Lynn Shelton if you can. She deserves it. Uh, go look up our little picks. Uh, we had a very interesting collection this week. It's worth your time. Um, and, uh, and, and make bookmark, uh, bookmarkmildlyplease.com and, and keep checking there, uh, especially in the month of July when we'll be doing daily movie reviews of Criterion films, which are worth spending time on, but not doing podcasts, but that's okay. Cause you can get, uh, those, those two episodes I was talking about, we might do those. And also we've got a huge backlog of old shows, um, that you can find just by searching, uh, mildly pleased on um, iTunes or whatever else that you like to do podcasts on because here's the secret it's all just an RSS feed you can even just find it in your browser it's not it's it's like it's super easy to do um and yeah I guess that concludes another season of the pick uh just like uh Lynn Shelton film I feel like we did a great job uh wrapping things up and not a great job of tantalizing you for what'll happen next just off screen but uh i don't know 
maybe stay tuned anyway. Maybe maybe someone will show up with a gun. Maybe Jeffrey Dean Morgan will save Colin's life. You don't know. This book you never read is now long overdue. An air and satellite that's lost behind the moon. Don't ever say that it's too late.